that don't know me, my name is Christian Moscoso, and I get to share the word this morning. I'm one of the elder pastors here at Trinity, and uh, I, I get to do my favorite thing to do, which is to preach the word of God. And so uh, thank you for being here. I also want to welcome you. Um, and you know what? It is a little unfair to hear about Chick-fil-A on a Sunday in a town that doesn't have a Chick-fil-A. So, you know, there's no way to satisfy this craving we now all have. But hey, well, it's all right. <clears throat> I do have two quick announcements I wanted to hit before we actually get into the message. First of all, tomorrow uh, we're going to go back. We're going to uh, kickstart or start back our 18 to 38 meeting. We have been meeting once a month. And uh, we used to meet on Thursdays, but we had to change the date. So we're going to be meeting now on the first Monday of the month. You'll notice tomorrow is not the first Monday of the month, but last week was uh, Labor Day. So we had to move it to tomorrow. So we'll be meeting tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. If you have any questions about this, <clears throat> please let me know. If you fall into this age group between 18 and 38 and you haven't yet attended but would like to do so, please talk to me. We would love for you to jump in, even if, it's, uh, even if we've been meeting together for a little while now. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, so that is uh, my first one. My second announcement is that on September the 24th, we're going to have an interest meeting for those of you uh, men that might be interested in helping out with our uh, jail ministry. We're looking at the possibility of partnering with uh, a local jail to go and minister to, to the inmates. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity for us as a church to be the church and for the church to get into spaces that are usually closed off for us. And so if you are interested uh, in coming and being part of that, please do talk to me. You do not need to have any experience teaching, uh, but please come talk to me. And then on September the 24th, after the meeting, after the, <clears throat> the, the sermon or service, we will be having a meeting that's going to be a short one. And so please uh, join us then. With that said, how about we jump into our message this morning? So... If you were here last week, you know that we started a new series titled Doctrine, Distinctives, and Direction. This is basically an overview of our membership class here at Trinity. And the reason that we're doing this is because we believe that it's important that we remember the things that we committed to as members. Some of you maybe became members six months ago. Some of you maybe became members 27 years ago. And so it is good for us to remember what are those commitments uh, that we have made. What are those uh, foundational truths about this local church and God's call to us and our vision as a local church. And so we decided to take an extended um, period of time between now and Advent to just revisit those topics. Now, if you were sitting in our journey class at 8.45 this morning, you will notice there are a couple of things that will be um, that, that, that you guys talked about this morning that we will talk about today, but it's not the same, it's not the same class. And so, uh, yeah, I would just want to invite you guys to, to, to pay attention, to lean in, because I believe that the Lord is calling us as a local church to join him in the work of the gospel. And it is important that we know what our role is there. And so that's what we're doing. And so uh, let's jump in. I'm going to ask you guys to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read from verses 11 to 22 today. That's the passage we're going to be covering. And in a minute, we will read uh, part of it. But before we do that, as you're looking for it, I wanted to tell you about something that happened to me this past week. Megan and I went out for lunch. We met at B.B. Rad's, uh, which is a new restaurant in town. If you don't know what B.B. Rad's is, I highly recommend you check it out. It is a pretty great local barbecue restaurant that has recently opened here in Titusville. And it has quickly become a family favorite. Every time I go there, I personally order 
um, something that I would highly recommend. Uh, I ordered this awesome sandwich called The Officer. Now get ready for this. It's awesome. This officer is a pulled pork sandwich. Okay? It's good. But instead of being on a bun, it's served in a delicious glazed donut. I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. So if you haven't been to TV Reds, I highly recommend you do that. But so on Tuesday, we went there, and you know, because of the kind of people that we are, we both ordered the officer, as we always do. And uh, there was a little problem, and it's this. As we were speaking, as, as we were eating, I remembered something that I think is important that I share with you. Um, it's important that I describe or that I tell you that just recently I have discovered or developed what I can only describe as a pork intolerance. Okay? It's pretty recent. It can't be the donut. It's not the donut. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the donut. I think I have uh, developed a pork intolerance. And, and it's pretty recent, and because it's so recent, I often forget about it. Up until I wake up in the middle of the night feeling absolutely terrible. I forget so often, let me show you how often I forget, that I wrote this probably on Thursday or Wednesday. Last night, yesterday, I kid you not, I spent about 11 hours smoking a pork butt for today, okay? <laughs> So, yes, it's pretty bad. But anyways, it's important that you know that, that I've developed this uh, pork intolerance. Um, well, this week, I was reminded of my pork intolerance, not later that night, but as I was eating my meal. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this delicious meal, and all of a sudden, I start feeling like, oh boy, this is not good for me. And so I started feeling pretty bad. I mean, of course, as anyone would, I finished my meal because I'm a big boy. <laughs> but as I was walking back to my car, I ran into one of the chefs. And so, you know, very kind guy. And he asked me, hey, how was everything? And in that moment, I had to have this like really fast conversation with, my, with myself inside my head. Because the reality is I was feeling terrible at that point. But then I had to have this conversation about myself because I wanted to tell him, man, I feel bad. But then I realized, wait, I'm feeling bad not because of their service or their food. It has absolutely nothing to do with the meal. Their product was amazing. And still, I'm feeling pretty bad. I realized this, that everything that, had, that came from their part, you know, it was perfectly fine. The problem was me. It was a personal struggle that determined how I was feeling at that moment. So, as the nice man that I am, I told him, the meal was great. Now, it didn't feel like it at all, but it was true. It was a great meal, even if I was, telling, if I was feeling terrible. Now, why am I telling you this? Because, you see, if I'm not careful, I might let that one experience change the way that I view that restaurant, which might then lead me to missing out on the delicious food that they serve. Like I said, it is a great place, so I highly recommend it. Please do go. If you have a pork intolerance, just order something else. Uh, but if you haven't tried BB Rats, please do go and support that awesome place. But you see, this is something I believe happens to people when it comes to the church. There are many who will allow external factors determine their relationship with the church. Did you know that in the last 25 years... 
Some 40 million adult Americans who used to go to church at least once per month now attend less than once per year. Do you hear that? 40 million Americans have stopped going to church in the last 25 years. According to Jim Davis and Michael Graham, we are currently living in the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. This shift, pay attention to this, is larger than the number of conversions during the First Awakening, Second Great Awakening, and the totality of Billy Graham Crusades combined. That's how many people have stopped going to church in the last 25 years. That church is a big chunk of our country who is missing out on this who's missing out on the gathering of the saints, who's missing out on the fellowship that we here find in church. This is heartbreaking. So this morning, I want us to look at a passage that I believe will give us a renewed vision of the church, what the church is, and what the purpose of the church is. So would you please join me in reading Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11. I'm going to read from 11 to 17. Would you please stand for the reading of the Lord's Word? So from verses 11 to 17, this is the Apostle Paul telling the Ephesians. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, and this is speaking to us, remember, he says, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near and that is the word of the lord would you pray with me heavenly father we thank you for your word father we thank you for the uh for your authoritative word father that informs everything in the life of the christian our life father i pray this morning that as i uh speak and preach from your word i pray that you would be the one that guides me father and if there's anything that i say that may come from my own understanding from my own flesh father that 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 goes against what the bible teaches lord i pray that it will be forgotten and fall to the ground lord father give us a nose for your word father help us lord have the sermon when we hear the word preached in the name of your son jesus i pray amen you may be seated and so what a beautiful passage we just read right This morning, my first point is this, that the church is God's people who have been purchased by Christ. What is the church? The church is God's people. And we have been purchased by Christ from what we just read. You know, from the beginning of time, God has wanted to be near his people. In the Garden of Eden, we see him walking the garden with Adam and Eve. Imagine that beautiful fellowship. Then in Genesis 4.26, we see that during the time of Seth, who is the third uh, son of Adam and Eve, uh, people, since this time, people have been calling upon the name of the Lord. Later in Genesis, we see God calling to himself a family. You remember the family of Abraham that he would later turn into a nation. Abraham's family became the nation of Israel. God has set them apart for himself, not because they were cute, 
Not because they were impressive. Not because there was anything special about them. But because he loved them. Then in Exodus 19, years later, shortly after God had redeemed the people of Israel, we find them at the foot of Mount Sinai. For the first time in scripture, for the first time in history, the people of God assembled in one place with the sole purpose of hearing God's word. The book of Deuteronomy actually calls this day uh, the day of the assembly. And about this, John Frame says this, he says, this is the beginning of the church. It was on this day that the nation of Israel became by covenant God's holy nation, distinguished from all other nations of the world. God has redeemed the Israelites from Egypt. They are his treasured possession among all peoples. They are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does that ring a bell a little bit from last week? Now, you might be saying, well, Christian, that was Israel. But what about us? Well, our passage tells us in verse 12 that there was a time when we would have been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, where you and I, we were foreigners to this whole deal. To God's relationship with Israel, we were foreigners. We were outside those covenants. But in verse 12, it says that having been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Right? So, so it's telling us, verse 12, is like, there was no hope outside Israel. There was no hope for those that were outside the covenant. But then the good news comes in verse 13 that says this. It says, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh man. Let me say that again. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, God had chosen a family that would then become a nation. And he had chosen them for himself. But then in the New Testament, according to verse 14... Christ broke down the dividing walls and gathered for himself a people from all over the world, his church. We, the church of Jesus Christ, are God's special people. We are the continuation of Israel. Last week, we heard from Tim that Peter calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And I want you to hear the love and the tenderness with which God speaks of his church. We are a people of his own possession, a treasure. Church, this is who we are. We are the church of Jesus Christ, a people who were once far off, but were chosen by God out of his love and for his glory. Church, do you see this? The church is not a voting block for politicians to manipulate. The church is not a building that you drive to. The church is not a club that you join or a show for you to enjoy. The church is the bride of Christ. We are his body. We are his treasured possession. And unless we completely understand this, unless we get it, unless we believe it, We will never treat the church as we should. Which is then why it's so easy for some people to just walk away. We, the church, are the assembled people of God who are called and gathered with a purpose. 
We are only one outpost. Here at Trinity, there's only one outpost of the invisible church, the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. We are one little part of it. But we are part of the great universal church, the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ was called with a purpose. We were gathered, chosen, and called, not for ourselves, but with a purpose. So what is the purpose of the church? I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to answer that question. This leads me to my second point, which is the purpose of the church is to treasure Christ. And I want us to see that in verses 18 through 21. Verse 18 says this. It says, uh, For through Him, this is being Christ, of course, For through Him we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being their cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The purpose of the church, then, is to treasure Christ. If you're a member of Trinity, you know that our mission statement is to treasure Christ, to grow in Christ, and to proclaim Christ. Where in the world do we get that from? From this? The reason this is our mission statement is precisely because we believe that this is the threefold purpose of the church as revealed by Scripture. That we would treasure Christ, that we would grow in Christ, and that we would proclaim Him. Amen. When I say that the purpose of the church is to treasure Christ, I mean that the primary purpose of the church is to worship God and to bring Him glory. And this passage helps us see that in at least three ways. First, in verse 18, it tells us that we have access to God. And boy, isn't that good news. This passage highlights the fact that we have access to God the Father, which is a fundamental aspect of worship. Having access to God is a drawing near to God, drawing near to His presence, and giving Him glory, honor, and praise. Church, when we gather, we do so because we have access to God the Father, and this leads us to worship and adoration. Church, we don't sing because it's cute to get together and sing. We sing because we have a God that has gathered for himself a people, that is saving his people, and that is worthy of glory and honor and praise. Karen reminded me this week that the word worship comes from the Old English word worship. And it literally means to give something worth, to, va- to attribute value, especially to God. So thank you, Karen, for that reminder. This worship happens corporately when we gather as the redeemed people of God, and when we draw near to Him through the, si- to, through the singing of the songs, through the pro- proclamation of the word, and through prayer. Ligon Duncan described the elements that should occur during our corporate worship with a quote where he says, read the Bible. Preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. You see, when we, draw near, when we get together, we, we, we worship God by drawing near to Him through the means of grace. When we draw near to God, we do so as children, no longer as aliens or as enemies. As His children, we draw near to Him confidently, not arrogantly. We draw near to Him, knowing that we are loved 
and that we are welcomed into his presence. Church, we don't have to wonder if God wants us. We know he does. Now imagine for a second that you are scheduled to meet with the President of the United States. Just imagine what that would be like. You have a meeting in the Oval Office. You're sitting outside waiting for the call to, to usher you in. How are you feeling in that moment? I shared with you guys a couple months ago that the last year, my son Tiago and I, we had a meeting with the president of Guatemala, where I'm originally from. And I remember coming to, to, to the building, coming to a fancy room where we are waiting for the president to just have a couple minutes to meet with us. And we're sitting there longer than we thought we would. We're waiting there. And I remember just thinking in my head, like, am I sitting the right way? You know, um, how, how should I say hello to the president? Do I shake his hand? What do I do? And I just remember being a little nervous. And, you know, as a good parent, a little paranoid about how my son was going to act at that moment. <laughs> it was nerve-wracking. Now, I want you to look at this picture. This is a photo of JFK with his son, John Jr., now, this picture is in the Oval Office, and that is a president's desk, the Resolute Desk. What do you see there? Do you see, a, do you see a person that's nervous because he's about to meet the president of the United States? Is he coming in there? I want you to, to picture this, this, this little child. Do you think he was nervous? No. Do you think he was wondering, am I going to be let in? No. He came in with confidence, not because he had access to a powerful man. He was just coming to see his dad, a man that knew him and loved him. Church, in the same way, when we draw near to God, we get to do so as, as children. We don't do so with flippancy, but with confidence that we are welcome into his presence. This verse also reminds us that we are members of the household of God. Verse 19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here Paul describes us as members of the household of God. In this family, worship plays a central role. Within a family, members come together to express their love and devotion to one another. And in the context of the church, as God's household, this includes worshiping and honoring God. Church, notice that when we meet on Sundays, we don't come and meet in the house of God. We come on Sundays, and we, as we gather, we bring the household of God to this building. At the cross, the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. So now the presence of God is not limited to a physical space, it's not limited to a building. His presence is now in us. Yes. We are the household of God. Yes. Also notice that Paul is saying we are members of the household of God. We are not visitors. We are not casual attenders. We are members of the household of God. And though, and I'm going to be clear here, Paul is not specifically talking about church membership here, okay? However, the fact that he calls us citizens and members implies not only a sense of belonging and identity, but also a sense of family 
And as a family, we have shared responsibilities and privileges. And so as the members of the household of God, we have certain responsibilities, commitments, and privileges. This leads me to, to verse 21. Paul is reminding us here that we are a holy temple. We worship because we are a holy temple. Verse 21, he says, in, the whole, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Church, this goes hand in hand with our previous point. But when Paul tells us we are growing into a holy temple um, in, in the Lord, this reminds us that in the Old Testament, the temple was a place of worship and sacrifice. So as a church, we not only treasure Christ through corporate worship, but also by individually living our lives as living sacrifices, as Romans 12 calls us to. Our worship of God is not limited to this two-hour window on Sunday mornings during our corporate worship. For the Christian, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is the posture of our heart, a heart that has been transformed, and a heart that seeks to glorify God in all things. Church, worship encompasses the entirety of a believer's life, including our thoughts, our actions, and attitudes, lived out in gratitude and reverence to the Lord. You know, whenever we equate worship with singing, we are robbing ourselves. Singing, and especially in the corporate gathering, is a beautiful thing, a beautiful expression, expression of our worship. But for those of us that have a terrible voice, if we think worship is only singing, we're in trouble. Worship is our lifestyle. With that said, though the primary um, responsibility or, or task or purpose of the church is worship, worship is not the only purpose of the church. Our worship is not only something that we do for God, but also as we worship, God is working in us as well. Personal worship, uh, personal worship and drawing near to God through the means of grace are formative for the soul of the believer. You know, worship shapes us. It shapes our hearts. It moves us. It, it leads us. And so worship is what we do as the church of God, but it's not the only thing that we do. This leads me to my third point, which is the purpose of the church is to grow in Christ. It's edification. In verse 22, Paul says this, he says, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And here at Trinity, this is what we mean when we say that we are growing in Christ. You see, Paul's metaphor here is helpful because it presents the idea that as believers, we are like building blocks. We are like Legos, if you will. We are building blocks, and collectively, we form a spiritual structure or a dwelling place for God. Now, this is important for us to remember as we come to church, because when we gather as a church, our role is not one of passive consumers, but we are here to be edified and to edify one another. Building up, ourselves, uh, bu building up believers, growing and strengthening them is one of the purposes of the church. Edification is one of the purposes of the church. Now, as you hear that, you might be thinking, uh, you, you might be tempted to think, yes, that is exactly what we have pastors and elders for. That's why we have a staff at the church. But I want you to notice that Paul's metaphor does not allow that. 
Paul speaks of building blocks that are being put together and are becoming a dwelling place for God. This means that this structure, the church, is only strong when each building block is connected to each other in mutual edification. It's this mutual interaction and edification within the body of believers that contribute to the spiritual growth and the maturity of the Christian. Church, that is why the New Testament, in the New Testament alone, you will find 59 one another uh, instructions. We call those the one another's in the New Testament, right? These are commands that teach us how to relate to one another. The Bible calls us then to love one another, to encourage one another, to care for one another, to honor one another, to bear with one another's burdens, and so on and so on and so on. There's 59 commands. So as the church is being built up by the Spirit, it is important that we understand that our role is one of collaborators and not consumers. The way that you see yourself in the church will affect the way that you interact with other believers. Because you see, if you see yourself as a consumer, you will come here into this building and you're going to be evaluating everything. You're going to evaluate the music. If it was to your liking or not. If it was too contemporary or maybe not com- contemporary enough. You will evaluate the message. Did that guy really have that accent? <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. You're going to evaluate. You're going to be looking at the clock and making sure that we're keeping, you know, we're keeping on time. We're staying on time. If you see yourself as a consumer and, you, and the service is to your liking, well, maybe you will reward us by coming back next week. And at some point, maybe you'll tip us during the offering. (laughs) Isn't that so sad? But really, that's the attitude of many. I mean, in our culture, we have a term called church shopping. Gross, right? But church, this attitude is not only unbiblical, but it is also detrimental for our souls. How detrimental, you may ask. Well, this past week, The Atlantic recently published an article titled, What Really Happens When Americans Stop Going to Church. And though I don't agree with everything that is framed in the article, the thesis of the article is that as people in the Bible Belt are leaving the church, they are becoming more radicalized by politics, which helps to explain, at least in part, the crisis we're in as a country. Because you see, when people leave the church, it's not because they have, they, they've stopped worshiping, but because they have exchanged the object of their worship. And so when you leave the church, you don't stop worshiping. You just worship the next thing. And it seems like in the season we're in, politics seems to be the object of of choice for many people. And so when the people leave the church, it's detrimental not only for the soul of the person, but even for us as a country. A cultural Christianity or a consumer mindset is not only detrimental to our souls, but also to our nation. But if you instead are gripped by this beautiful vision of the church that Paul is presenting to us, that of a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, you will come to church with a mindset of a co-laborer and not a consumer. If this is the case, you will take ownership of this local church. You will find a community of believers to share your life with through a community group, for example. You will find ways to joyfully serve and to meet the needs around you. If you are a co-laborer and not a consumer, you might even give us the grace when we inevitably fail you or disappoint you. 
You see, part of this mutual edification takes part on Sunday mornings, and that is appropriate. But it also takes part in community groups. And when we see each other during the week outside the, these four walls, brother and sister, this is a church, and the church needs you. And for this church to be healthy, we need you to not be just a warm body in the seat. We don't need numbers here. We need co-laborers. We need you as a co-laborer willing to spend yourself for the glory of God. Church, we are God's household. And this means that God's presence dwells within us. So as we go about our week, spreading across our city, state, and country, we carry the presence of God with us. This effectively positions us as gospel ambassadors wherever we journey. And this brings me to my final point, which is this. The purpose of the church is to proclaim Christ. The purpose of the church is evangelism. You see, the, 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 the purpose of the church then is to proclaim Christ. Now, you will notice that this is not in the text we just read this morning. Okay, Paul is not saying, go evangelize, okay? And that's okay, because this point is consistent, not only with what Tim preached last week, you know, proclaiming the excellencies, but it also con- it's also consistent with the, great, uh, with the Great Commission that we will read in just a moment, and it is also consistent with the way that we see the church acting in the book of Acts, right? We are a church that proclaims. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, we were called by Christ himself. And he says this, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now these two verses are a sermon in themselves. And there's a lot that is not going to be said in this moment. We don't have the time to, exegete, to fully exegete this passage. So there's a lot that's going, to be, that's going to go unsaid this morning. But one of the things that we can glean from it, however, is that we are ambassadors for Christ everywhere we go. And as such, it is our joy to smuggle hope into every space we inhabit. Have you ever talked to a Swifty? If you don't know what a Swifty is, it's a Taylor Swift fan. Justin just uh, had one of these experiences. He can tell you about later. Or, well, if you don't know Taylor Swift or a Swifty, have you ever talked to someone that does CrossFit? <laughs> you will notice that both of these people will uh, tell you about their passions without even being prompted to. Why? Well... Because for the Swifty, it may be because for whatever reason, they deeply connect with Taylor Swift's music to her lyrics. For the CrossFitter, it's probably because they have seen the significant changes that CrossFit have brought to their bodies and to their lifestyles. And so they want you to know about it, right? When we as believers experience a genuine transformation through the power of the gospel, it will permeate every aspect of our lives. This transformation will impact our lifestyle, and naturally, it will find its way into our conversations with others. The gospel will reshape our desires, it will refine our identity, and it's going to enhance our sense of belonging, and it will cause us to radiate its influence. If we are gripped by this this vision of the church, 
we as believers will understand that evangelism is not just our call and duty, but it is also our joy. So as the church, we are not only Christ's body, but also his mouth and his voice in this world. And yes, evangelism happens here on Sundays as we seek to faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel from this pulpit. But the gospel spreads most naturally when as believers we understand our role as gospel-proclaiming believers. As gospel-proclaiming hope smugglers. As gospel-proclaiming co-laborers in our daily lives. Church, there are places and spaces where the other elders and I will never get access to, but God has placed you specifically and strategically there. I've mentioned this before, but my mom is the the Guatemalan ambassador to Israel. But because Guatemala is such a small country, she also has ambassadorial duties in Bulgaria and Cyprus. And as an ambassador, those are the places where she has been strategically placed to represent the government of Guatemala. She doesn't get to come here to the U.S. and represent the government of Guatemala. She has specific locations that she is called to represent Guatemala. The question for you, though, is where has God placed you? What are the spaces that he has given you access to that you might be the light this world needs? Trinity Community Church is a church on mission. And as a child of God, so are you. As a church... We really don't do our job when the staff does all the work of ministry. If all the work of this church comes from the staff, we're failing you. This church is doing its job when we are equipping our members for the work of ministry. Now here's the thing. I know no one here is surprised by the fact that as Christians we should be telling others about Jesus. I didn't see any jaws hitting the floor when I said that our call is evangelism. We all know that. But in practice, we can easily fail to do this. And we can fall into a passivity when sharing our faith. Isn't that true? And I can think of at least three reasons why that happens that I want to share with you today. None of these reasons are meant to to guilt you into doing anything. Growing up in the church in the 90s, let me tell you, there's nothing... There's nothing more unhelpful than evangelism that's fueled by fear of man or by, by a burden that's given to you by the church. Okay, so I, that's not what I'm trying to do here. But there, there are three main reasons that I can think of of why we are maybe not sharing our faith. Number one is unbelief. There are those who don't share their faith because of unbelief. They may be part of the church. They may even attend the church regularly, but they don't truly believe the gospel. This happens when our Christianity is assumed like a cultural Christianity. So if this is the case for you, sharing your faith might feel like like someone I know who used to sell timeshares, but he had to quit because he couldn't bear the responsibility in his conscience to, to, to bind people to financial you know, things. It felt predatory to him and he just couldn't do it. And he walked away. And, and sometimes if, if, if this is you, if you are only a cultural Christian, you don't fully buy it, you're not going to be sharing it with others. If you don't believe that the gospel 
If, if you don't believe the gospel is uh, beyond it being merely a subculture that you're a part of, you won't be able to, to share it with others. So I want to ask you this morning, have you ever asked yourself that maybe the reason you hesitate to share your faith might be because you don't truly believe it? Or maybe up to this point, your faith has been merely a mental ascent of who God is and not a true relationship. Again, I don't ask this in order to shake anybody's assurance of salvation, but I do think it's important that we ask these questions that we don't assume the gospel. Now, I'm asking you not to condemn you, but to point you to Christ and say, hey, Amen. give your life to Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Number two, and the second reason why I think people don't share their faith is fear of man. There are those of us who don't share our faith because fear of man. I, can, I got to confess, this was me for a very long time. There's this fear of being mocked or rejecting by our, rejected by our fears. After all, we do live in a society uh, that is increasingly hostile towards our faith. Sharing your faith can at times be met with mockery or flat-out hostility. And that's hard. And I know it's hard. It truly is. I don't want to downplay that. But even so, let me tell you something. It is worth it. It is not just our duty or our call. It is also our joy and our responsibility to share our faith with others. If this is you, might you need to confess your fear of man? Might you need to repent of your fear of man and ask God for boldness as you proclaim the gospel? And the, three, the third reason that I can think of that we don't, or why we don't evangelize is, is a feeling of inadequacy. We often get this sense that, that we're inadequate to be sharing our faith. When faced with the opportunity to, to share our faith, I know I personally have to fight the excuses that quickly come to mind. Sometimes I feel like I'm not smart enough to, to, feel, to, to share my faith with this person. Or maybe I'm not quick on my feet, so what if they ask this or that? Or maybe even... Sometimes I just look at myself and I'm like, well, I'm a mess. Why am I going to be sharing the gospel? Why would someone want to hear from me after all? You see, one of the beauties of the doctrine of election is that it reminds us that other people's salvation does not depend on your intelligence, on your personality, or your eloquence. It is God himself who draws his people to himself. And it is a joy and a privilege that we get to be the ones that point people to Him. Brother, sister, remember that you're not called to share the gospel because you are great, because you are amazing. You're called to share the gospel because He is great. Have you ever thought about the fact that God knows you? He is aware of your quirks and weaknesses. And still, in His sovereignty, He will place you in spaces and in situations where He will have you share the gospel. And that is a privilege. In the end, you've heard me say this before, but I love quoting Spurgeon, who used to say that in the end, we are nothing but beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And that's us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, For if I preach the gospel... That gives me no ground for boasting. 
for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I did not preach the gospel. Church, let us pray with Paul that we would feel compelled to share the gospel. Let us together with Paul say, woe is me if I did not preach the gospel. As I'm drawing to a close, and the worship team, you're welcome to come up here. This morning, I know that we have looked at what the purpose of the church is. We talked about the fact that the purpose of the church is to treasure Christ, to grow in Christ, and to proclaim Christ. But all of this flows from the first one, which is the fact that we treasure Christ. Ultimately, the church is the assembly of the people who have been purchased with Christ out of love and for His glory. We are a people who have been transformed and continue being transformed. It's a beautiful thing. But St. Augustine was right when he said that though the church is a holy, it's holy, sorry, and the bride of Christ, this bride is made of imperfect people. We are an ugly bride, if you will. We are a bride with warts and all. And here at Trinity, we are under no illusion that we are perfect. And it would be hypocritical for us not to acknowledge the hurt that has, that has come from some in the church. We recognize that there are those inside the church that have hurt people. That have acted in ways opposed to what the Bible prescribes and have hurt people deeply. And I am aware that some of you may be sitting here who have been hurt by the church. Who have been sinned against by the church. And I want you to hear that we, we know that. And I'm sorry that you went through that. It's not okay. God knows that. Can I encourage you this morning, though, not to look at the warts of his ugly bride, but to look at the wonderful, loving, benevolent groom, Christ himself. You guys remember the story of Jacob? When he worked for seven years to marry the beautiful Rachel, only to wake up in bed next to poor Leah, the girl that the Bible describes as the girl with weak eyes. This is a very poetic way to say that Leah was not very attractive. The Bible tells us that she was so non-attractive that she was hated. But this was not lost on God. God loved Leah. And when she was despised by others, may I remind you, Jacob, one of the fathers of the people of God, when Leah was hurt by those inside the church, God loved her and made her fruitful. In the same way, Christ has loved his ugly bride, warts and all, not because she's perfect, but because he is. And by this, I don't only mean the church as a whole, but also individually. He took those who were spiritually ugly, those who were dead in their sins and trespasses, those who were sinful, morally broken, and he purchased us as his bride to love and to cherish. But just as God did with Leah, when she was hurt by the people of God. If God has hurt you, he has a heart for you. And he will love you, and he will make you fruitful.
church, if you are a child of God, you are part of this bride. And we together get to take part in beautifying this bride by being good witnesses in the world. Would you pray with me as we close?